I'm going to look in directly into the viewers and listeners' souls right now and let them know what this bullshit that they're watching is and or <laughs> listening to. Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of February 2023, and it's once again that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this, this endeavor, <laughs> I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. We're live. We got to keep rolling with it, baby. We are talking Blu-rays, whether we stumble over our words or not. And uh, Trevor, it's okay. I'm sure I will have many stumbles going forward, but it's still going to be a great episode. Oh, yeah. We're just a couple of stumble bums here. Obviously, we both have a lot of movies to talk about. Uh, so, dear listener and uh, hopefully viewer, uh, if you're not familiar with the format, uh, essentially what we're going to be doing here on our very special Tales from the Shelf episode uh, is we are going to be talking about uh, our respective film collections. Uh, so that would be DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4K discs. Uh, and as is customary, uh, we have a theme for this month's episode. And our theme for February 2023 is Glorious Grayscale. Uh, so Brad actually uh, is the schmo that's responsible for selecting the theme this month, uh, and essentially what we're going to be doing today is uh, talking about movies from our collections uh, that are in black and white. Uh, so grayscale, in other words. Uh, so um, I actually have very few titles uh, to talk about, so more than likely I'm actually going to be showing off literally every black and white film I have in my possession, but um, also as is customary uh, i will do my hosting duty here today and uh, promptly throw brad directly under the bus and ask uh, hey brad how about you share your first pick for this month yeah um i will say i don't have like a ton of black and white movies either unfortunately you know when you kind of like think okay let me look at all the ones i have it's kind of like oh man i really need to you know get more movies pre 1960s but you know i still have a decent amount and i'm gonna go uh for my first one we're gonna talk about the cock of the walk alfred hitchcock old hitchy with strangers on a train strangers on a train which despite the uh cover of this blu-ray it is black and white as you can as you can see there they 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 they, they, they throw get you they they a little bit of a marketing tactic there people that don't watch black and white then maybe they won't look at the back um but this is a film that i watched for the first time a couple years ago and i enjoyed it i mean it is an alfred hitchcock movie so it's you know nothing too surprising there uh I, I went back, and apparently I only gave this a 3.5. I don't know what issues I had with it, because in my memory, I uh, really remember liking it. So the premise is, two guys meet, two strangers on a train. And you would think this would be a, a, a train movie, and it's really not. It's just they meet on a train, and that's that's basically the extent of the train. Um, and they kind of start talking, and the one stranger the guy who's not our lead uh comes up with this idea he says you know what i bet you that we could each kill somebody in each other's lives and no one would know like i could kill the boss i could kill your boss that you hate you could kill my ex-wife who i hate and they would never be able to catch us because there's be nothing tying us to the crime the only way we know each other 
is we were two strangers on a train and the the our lead is like oh yeah that's that's actually pretty interesting you know you you could kill somebody i know and in a good way with it um and then he gets off the train and whatever and he's like oh that was a weird conversation funny guy um but then turns out the stranger goes through with it and kills uh somebody that this guy knows and then uh, our lead is like, hey, now nah, I didn't agree to do this. Whoa, what's going on here? Um, so then the stranger starts following him, and it, it kind of turns into like a stalker film, I guess, um, for a, a subgenre to put it into where this stranger keeps following him and saying, you're going to kill somebody? You're going to kill that guy yet? Um, but it's good. It's There's some good tension in there. Uh, it's a great premise, and uh, the ending uh, climax uh, takes place on a – uh, runaway uh, carousel, like a extremely uh, sped up carousel, which is I don't maybe I didn't like maybe that's something I didn't like the first time, but in my mind I really like that ending. So uh, who knows? But um, solid Hitchcock movie, definitely not one of my favorites, but uh, really really well directed and a great premise. Oh yeah, no, um, I actually saw that one for the first time just a few years ago as well. Um, I was staying at my friend's apartment in Washington, D.C., uh, and his fiance at the time, uh, I was there for their wedding, <laughs> um, his fiance, uh, she insisted we watch some Hitchcock. She she loves Hitchcock. Like, like that's cool. like her arena is old classics in particular, like Hitchcockian thrillers and whatnot. And uh, yeah, she sat me down and made me watch that along with some of the Stanley Cup. <laughs> um, but um, first things first, though. We this guy, he, he better lock that girl down. Oh, this, this oh sounds, he did. Yeah, he did. yeah they, they got a baby now. They're doing, just, wow, they're doing nice. just great. Hitchcock and hockey? Come on now. Let's go. Lock it down. <laughs> doing it right. Um, but yeah, the, the one that she picked uh, was Strangers on a Train. And I had a funny story uh, going into that one because... Uh, a movie that I watched uh, many, many times when I was pretty young, like when I was middle school age, so like 12, 13, my, my dad sold it. He like oversold it to me. Uh, maybe not oversold it, but like he, he made a big deal out of it. It was uh, Throw Mama from the Train, <laughs> the Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal. And yeah. I, I don't remember the, the woman's name, but the, the cranky old bat from uh, the Goonies. Uh, with the face and that voice, <laughs> um, Throw Mama from, from the Train was a comedy, a pitch black comedy, mind you, that uh, I watched a lot on VHS when I was a kid. So I knew that movie really, really well. And actually, Strangers on a Train is directly referenced in that movie. Okay, uh, crisscross, crisscross. <laughs> was was it your wife, my father, crisscross? <laughs> like <laughs> like they call back to it many many times, and the finale of the movie takes place on a train and all that motives and alibis. Um, that's that's what the whole premise is about. But um, when I finally got around to actually seeing you know the source material, the strangers on a train, um, man, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very campy at times. Uh, the villain in particular is coded by you know Hollywood standards of the day. Um, is that the one with the tennis match towards the end as well? Yes. That, uh, that is one of my, fi- I, yes, I'm so glad you reminded me. That is the best part of the movie when, uh, I don't know if it's the one at the end, but there's a point cause the main character is a tennis, uh, professional where he's at a tennis match. I, I think he's like watching a match. He's spectating. And we have this shot of the crowd watching the tennis match. So they're, you know, all going 
back and forth following the ball, but then the stalker guy, the villain, is not following the ball. He's the one face in the crowd that is looking directly across the uh, arena at our main character and just staring at him. Such a great uh, like visual idea. I, I love that. That's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, that that really was some very very solid filmmaking. That was really incredible, actually. Um, I don't I don't remember precisely the context, but I also remember there was a lot of tension surrounding the progression of the outcome of that tennis yeah, game. Yeah, um, just a really awesome set piece. And uh, you know how I am about set pieces. I, I love when a movie just stops for a few minutes to just let a scene play out to the fullest and and just wring all the tension and and all the action out of something and. Um, I actually didn't know it uh, at the time um, when I got to the the carousel finale, but um, my friend's wife actually explained to me. She was like, "Oh yeah, this this is like a thing in Hitchcock. Like like the movie literally explodes. Like like, like she was like, yeah, this this is this is kind of normal actually. Like it seems a little over the top, but she's like, no, he he loves blowing up his movies. <laughs> or it's kind of like the end of what uh, the Disney Hercules movie, where just like the plot gets." wrapped up in in a big old cyclone and thrown into the cosmos <laughs> it's like did that make any sense to anyone it's like no but it's over isn't it mm-hmm. i mean maybe it, it is like a play on like deus ex machina or something where it's just like the movie's so broken at this point that it's like we have no choice but to shut down the production <laughs> it's like the story's over Every, everything's gone everything's blown up um but great pick brad um i, I hadn't really had an opportunity to come back to that one or even talk to anyone about that one since I saw it, but uh, shit kind of makes me want to go back and rewatch it. Cause that was a great, that was a great watch. For yeah. Me. I feel, I feel like, you know, it's a memorable title, but I feel like besides the title, a little bit of an underrated Hitchcock movie, not like super underrated, but definitely, I don't think most people would put it in a tier or maybe even B tier, like, you know, so, but I think it, it definitely is like all his movies worth watching for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I really need to take some time to actually explore the depths of his filmography because he is he is a highly you know highly regarded filmmaker that has like hit after hit after hit, and I am just barely skimming the surface when it comes to like films of his I've seen, even even though I know many of them by reputation. Um, so as far as like directors that I I ought to take the time to do a deep dive on, he's probably near the top of the list honestly um but yeah great pick brad <laughs> thank you okay so <clears throat> i suppose the pick is to me and while i don't have anything that is like a, a one one-to-one like compliment uh, to strangers on a train uh, i'll start off i guess with a movie that's legitimately good uh, or at least a pair of them. <laughs> That's not always the case when it comes to Trevor Picks. <laughs> I own a lot of crap. I'll just put it that way. But um, I have here uh, the Criterion uh, Collection 2-pack of uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro uh, from director Akira Kurosawa. Uh, these are both starring Toshiro Mifune. Uh, and they're both... Uh, well, Yojimbo is a like an out out and out classic uh it made a immense contribution to the world of cinema it's been referenced and parodied countless times um sanjuro is probably not as well known um, but it is a direct sequel uh, it does feature the same main character uh 
I think he's going by a different name, but it's supposed to be the same character. Um, but it is an actual sequel to Yojimbo, and as such, it's collected in a, a two-box here. I think you can get both of these in individual packs as well. Um, but I figured, why not? I'll just get both of them. Um, I had seen Yojimbo uh, prior to purchasing this box set, um, but I had not seen Sanjuro. Uh, so that was something I was really looking forward to. And actually, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think fun is probably the operative word uh, because both films have have a very entertaining, somewhat light atmosphere to them. But Sanjuro like takes it like a half step further, where it's a it's slightly goofier, slightly more fun film. Um, but that's punctuated with some extreme violence <laughs> at, at, at like so, somewhat random intervals. I guess uh, I guess maybe it's just a a reminder of of the atmosphere of the day or something or the fact that you know a lot of the stories is surrounding swordplay and stuff it's like you know we should we probably should highlight the severity of that sort of thing at some point but there's a there's a famous um blood pump shot in a uh, sanjiro at the like it's a, a key moment in the story that uh, the story goes uh they fucked up like the pressure or something on the on the the blood pump and it was so powerful, like, the actor had to, like, do everything in his power to not get knocked on his ass. Really? Because, like, the timing of the cut was so, so spot on. He's like, I better not fuck it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess, like, the blood just went, whoosh! <laughs> and he was like, mm! <laughs> Nice. nice. Um, it's, it's an iconic moment. It's, it's kind of a, I mean, in, like, Chambara or, a, like, samurai cinema, uh, parlance i guess it would be it would be kind of similar to like the the quick draw sequence in a in a traditional western um it's the equivalent of that but with a katana um and it's just <laughs> but um between the two i I'd, I'd say both are excellent films uh in their own right but yojimbo clearly stands apart uh not just between these two but like in the genre in like chambara cinema there's a reason why it is so far far reaching like from an international standpoint it it is a japanese film but it it touched world cinema um and as i said it's been it's been remade it's been referenced it's been parodied countless times um i mean for fuck's sake they even had like a was it the last man standing movie with bruce willis i never got around to seeing it but it's like a I thought you were going to say the Last Man Standing sitcom with Tim Allen did a parody episode, and I was like, I need to see that. I mean, <laughs> I would check that out. Tim Allen uh, <laughs> is standing in for Tokyo. Like, wow, I would not have expected that. Wow. <laughs> 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 Holy shit! I would I would watch the fuck out of that. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, great great ass movies. Uh, not the first time I actually saw. Toshiro Mifune. Um, the first time for me was the Samurai trilogy from a different director. I forget his name off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. it's not Kurosawa. Um, I own that one too, but those aren't in black and white, which is why we're not talking about them right now. But that was the first time I ever saw him, and forevermore. Um, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of you know young men of a certain age, like when when they're presented with this guy, especially if you have Japanese heritage, as I do. Um, he speaks to you it's just like man that guy is cool (laughs) it's like he's just so effortlessly cool um and what's more as an actor he's he 
has so much dimension to his performances like he can be completely pathetic he can be a total clown uh he can be manic and and wild uh he can be charming he can be he can do anything um i forget the I forget the exact quote, but like I think Kurosawa, like part of why he liked working with him is that he he made a reference to the number of feet of film required to express an emotion or express an action, and he was like, you could give him like two feet of film, and he'll give you more than someone else would give you with a hundred. Um, so basically, he's very economical and and precise mm-hmm. in how he expresses himself, and that, I would say that's very very true. Um, I, have a, I actually have a documentary about him. I think it's called, I think it's just called Mifune, or it, or it's like the Last Samurai or something. It's it's narrated by Keanu Reeves, which, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, was not wise. Um, <laughs> no, I mean really, when you think about, it, I love Keanu. Yeah. I love so much about Keanu, but his voice is not why you hire him if i'm being honest although that's true maybe i take that back because toy story 4 he probably was the best part of that i didn't like that movie but him as the the canadian stuntman the i forget the name of the character like he did do that pretty well so maybe i should maybe i should pull that back especially considering (laughs) you're not allowed there's a lot of people on the internet you're not allowed to say bad things about yeah watch out Uh, adele rihanna Beyonce, maybe not as much Beyonce, but Adele, Rihanna, and Keanu. <laughs> uh, the Rock and Ryan Reynolds are in there. They get, they you, get... You can shit talk The Rock all you want. He, he's he's yeah, he's bulletproof, rock, yeah, but yeah. people don't people won't defend him. He is bulletproof though. Like you can never chip away at The Rock. Like he's impermeable. Oh. He'll, he'll just take it. Brendan Fraser, Brendan Fraser, hundred percent. Yeah, I yeah. would add him to the list at like at like within the past decade or so yeah oh, he's yeah. Un- he, untouchable yeah you're not allowed to say anything bad about brendan fraser <laughs> good, yeah. good call that. <laughs> yeah. um no that's a, that's a great pick i actually um you said you need to do a deeper dive on hitchcock i do need to do a deeper dive on akira kurosawa uh and it's maybe even more embarrassing because i actually own uh not 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 a ton, but I own some of his films that I just haven't gotten around to watching. Um, I don't have those, uh, and the reason is mostly because I just... I, I mean, I've gotten over this a little bit, but uh, having the two-pack, I would, str- I would have uh, nightmares about where to file it under... I mean, I'd put it under Y, because that's the first one, right? But then I also think... Should I get both separately? Like you said, if they're both available separately, should I get both separately? So I've lost many nights of sleep. So I haven't picked that one up. Um, but I guess I won't do this as an official pick. Um, but maybe I didn't. I thought I grabbed uh, Rashomon, but maybe I did not. Oh. I won't use this as an official pick, but I did. I have seen this one. Um, I think I've only seen this in Seven Samurai, but uh, another uh Akira Kurosawa classic, of course. Oh yeah, no, Josh Holmone is fantastic. Um, I actually had to watch that for school. Um, it's also, you know, a movie that's been referenced and and paid homage to countless times uh, throughout film history. I mean, just just the structure of that movie, you you can name drop that film, and and people that are familiar with it will will know what you mean. 
like if you have a film that's like Rashomon esque, mm-hmm. people will know what you mean by that. Where it's like, ah, it's a play, it's a play on perspective kind of story. It's kind of built um, its own like subgenre almost, you know. Very much so. Very much so. Um, but yeah, uh, fantastic director. I mean, Kyle and I, uh, my regular co-host on Catching Up on Cinema, uh, we actually talked about a long time ago that's like haven't bothered to do the research, but back in the day. Uh, when when Criterion was not what it is today, um, there was almost that feeling that's like, is this was Janus Films and Criterion was it like founded strictly for the purpose of obtaining distribution rights to his filmography? Right. Because because really like it it was just inundated with with Kurosawa films, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he served as like the impetus for for the creation of of Criterion in some ways. Yeah, and I believe uh, they did a box set for him as well. I don't know when it was. It might have been like even pre-Blu-ray era. Maybe it was during Blu-ray, but I do believe that they did put out an Akira Kurosawa uh, box set. It says AK-100, 25 films by Akira Kurosawa. So I'm guessing when he would have turned 100, maybe. Uh, That sounds right. So, um, but yeah. He's, I mean, from what I've seen, of course, and this isn't a controversial opinion, fantastic director. <laughs> <laughs> You're from probably not aware of this. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> you probably didn't know that, though. <laughs> Guy with 500 movies behind him. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, that's my pick. Uh, actually, now that I think about it, that does complement your pick pretty well in that they're both from noteworthy directors. So there, there's there's the connection. There's yeah. the revolution. Okay, so that's uh, enough from my pick. Uh, what do you have next, Brad? Well, this movie... Listen, I don't know how this might be a bad pick because I've only seen it once and I don't remember anything about it. Um, but we're going to try and go with this one. Um, it is another film from the Criterion Collection, and I will say, you know, this is a kind of a good and bad thing, I guess, is that Criterion, they put out a lot of great older films, a lot of great black and white films. Um, so going through my collection, a lot of my black and white stuff is Criterion, so there might be a running theme there. But this movie is uh, one that... Um, I've only seen it one time again, and I probably was, like, just a little, maybe too young. Like, not that I didn't get it, but maybe I didn't appreciate it. And it's uh, Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries. Wild Strawberries, which is a very uh, kind of um, experiential, almost kind of like uh, like you're seeing a lot of things that aren't actually there. Um, it's about a man who he tra- he goes somewhere, he travels somewhere, but it's almost like it's all a reflection on life and death and, you know, him being in the twilight of his life and knowing that he's going to die soon. And I think I might've just been a little too young when I watched this. I think I watched this in college and I was like, I'm never going to die. Look how young I am now. We're, you know, we're getting close 10 years later probably 10 years since i've seen this actually so we're getting closer to that day that's coming um but no i do remember incredible visuals of course and i this is one i i should revisit and i've actually only seen this and uh he did the seventh seal also right that's bergman i think that's my understanding yeah um i do have that one as well but 
that's the that's the cliche Bergman pick. I got to go with something. A little, come on, like come on. Um, so this one, uh, very good. And the reason I picked it up actually is because I think my very first Criterion was uh, Twelve Angry Men, and I bought that not really knowing much about the Criterion collection. And there was like it was either like a Criterion trailer or it was like a bonus feature on that disc where you preview a bunch of different criterion movies or maybe i just watched their youtube trailers i can't remember but i started going through somehow and watching all these criterion trailers and stuff and one of them was wild strawberries and uh, the person that i was watching these with at the time we were both kind of like oh that looks really good like just like some of the the visuals looked amazing um very uh kind of uh, surreal visuals, and uh, so I kind of picked it up just for that reason alone. So it was one of my first Criterions that I owned, which it's probably not one of the go-to classic Criterion picks, but uh, it is definitely, uh, you know, a great movie that I, I should revisit. Yeah, um, I, I'm sorry to say I actually don't believe I've ever seen an Ingmar Bergman film before, um, so I'm completely new to anything that's expressed here but um what what exactly is the the film about because it sounds like from a visual standpoint it has quite a lot going for it and if i'm being honest sometimes that's more than enough to serve as a selling point for me but uh, you want to give us a plot rundown or something i mean i'll just read the back of the it's pretty short here if that uh if that works yeah, yeah it works for me uh, it's it's pretty it's kind of plotless which is kind of why i was kind of having trouble remembering but basically it says traveling to accept an honorary degree professor professor isaac borg played masterfully by veteran director victor shorstrom shorstrom is forced to face his past, come to terms with his faults, and make peace with the inevitability of his approaching death. Through flashbacks and fantasies, dreams and nightmares, Wild Strawberries dramatizes one man's remarkable voyage of self-discovery. This richly humane masterpiece full of iconic imagery is a treasure from the golden age of arthouse cinema and one of the films that catapulted Ingmar Bergman to international acclaim. So it is kind of like a uh, very like surreal dreamlike kind of thing. Uh, just, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it is kind of him looking back at, oh, maybe there, maybe he had a daughter or something like there's flashbacks to his daughter and he's, you know, having regrets kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'd be really curious to look up a trailer for that um, because I, I think Kyle does that too. Like he'll just like catch a glimpse of something that just like, I'm pretty sure he did that with, um, was it Tarkovsky's uh, stalker? Mm. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure he just caught a glimpse of a couple of shots from that, and that was kind of it. He was like, "I don't know what that is, but I I need to know what it. I need to know what it is." Uh, so it sounds like maybe through that trailer you saw on whatever disc it was, um, it sounds like that was what caused you to remember it and seek it out down the road. Yeah. Um, did I'm, you say Twelve Angry Men was your first uh, Criterion pick? I think so. I I could be wrong, but it was definitely one of my first. But I I think it was the first. Yeah, uh, for me, I think. Um, I mean, I did have uh, the the RoboCop DVD. Oh um, yeah, because yeah. at the time that was the only way um, on DVD anyway uh, to get the un, un uncut version of the film. Nowadays, you can find it anywhere. It's it's just out there but back in the day you had to pay primo primo bucks 
just to get that Criterion DVD that was fucking hard to find. I had to go to a Silver Platters for that piece of shit. <laughs> I've never set foot in a Silver Platters aside for that. Uh, that and when I bought the uh, the CD soundtrack for the Jet Li classic, The One. <laughs> okay. All right. All yeah, right. Those are probably the only two things I ever bought at a Silver Platters. But um, beyond that, I think my first Criterion Blu-ray was uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Um, that's a good. That's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, I was happy with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I will say I might have to uh, say debatable if Twelve Angry Men was my first because I actually think now that I'm thinking about it, my first was probably uh, this one, uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, the controversial criterion in a regular blu-ray case um which is the fuck yeah you haven't heard about this this is <laughs> no uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i i actually don't know what the deal is why they released it i guess just because it was such a high profile film but it is an official criterion release it's just uh not in a regular criterion case of any kind and uh I, this might be uh despicable but i do not file it with my other criterions it is it is the black sheep of the collection the criterion collection it's it goes with all the other trash blu-rays over here (laughs) well as your buddy matt would say this is despicable to me (laughs) um (laughs) wow i did not know about that who directed that one by the way i never i actually haven't seen benjamin button before. uh david fincher actually Holy shit, really? Yeah, yeah, it was his uh his Oscar bait moment. Um <laughs> which you know, I I a lot of people hate on that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I still think it's a good movie. Um but it does feel a little bit outside of David Fincher's sensibilities. Eh, I mean, I'm I'm sure you can find ways to tie it in with his oeuvre. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just given his uh his penchant for kind of testing the limits of cgi like 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 the de-aging technology or in yeah. the case of the social network just you know like well we're just gonna have two army hammers one of mm-hmm. which is gonna be you know manufactured a computer not mm-hmm. a big deal <laughs> it's like he loves he loves doing that kind of stuff he's almost like a he's uh the david blaine of uh of cinema he loves doing that up close street magic kind of shit but with a fucking film yeah uh yeah it's a stretch but try to bear with i me. like that i like that <laughs> Um, shit! I don't think I have anything that can complement an Ingmar Bergman pick. Don't have um, any other so, Swedish uh, filmmakers in in that uh, pile over there. Do I look like I'm a Swedish film enthusiast? <laughs> I got a fuck. I got a bunch of fucking Japanese plastic robots <laughs> up on my shelf. <laughs> you fucking joking? Are you joking? Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, I most certainly don't have anything that can measure up to that. So uh, we're going to do something completely different. I actually have one more uh, Criterion pick, um, but I'll save it for a rainy day uh, ten minutes from now. (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit uh, because it's my damn show and I can do that. Uh, I have two cheat picks uh, among my stack, and this one's... This one's a funny one. This is mostly just an excuse to talk about talk talk about the thing. It's like I, I have nothing really to say about the movie. It's more just like what it what it represents and what it is, I guess. Uh, so I have here uh, in my hand a 4K disc um, from Warner Brothers of 
uh, wow, his name's on the cover. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mm. Uh, so this is the four-hour extravaganza that the Twitter demanded. That the the the, the neckbeards on the internet they won, Brad. Um, and that's actually largely why I own this is not because I thought it was remarkable, really. It, it's actually I think an improvement. It is over long. Four hours is too goddamn long, but. I do think it's a better film and a more cohesive film than the Joss Whedon version. Um, it's just fascinating to me the precedent of this is this is a movie that the the internet willed into existence to some degree. Probably not a hundred percent true, but it you know partially was financed by you know Warner Brothers and and Zack Snyder uh, giving in to fan demand, which is not a common thing in the world of cinema especially on this scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it worked out pretty well because, you know, Warner Brothers and HBO, they needed something to... They needed their, their killer app for their killer app uh, in the form of HBO Max, which was still, you know, fairly new at the time. Um, and the reason why this qualifies somewhat, this uh, this is a cheat pick um, for a glorious grayscale conversation is because there is a uh, a black and white cut of this movie however it does not exist on this disc oh really <laughs> yes mm. as far as i understand it only exists digitally in streaming form via the hbo max app that's right i do um, remember so i'm actually that now. gonna I'm, I'm gonna hold up a, a thingy for the camera here um, so this is the insert, and it says, uh, nobody steal that fucking code, by the way. I haven't used it. <laughs> uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Justice is Gray, only available on HBO Max. Um, so there does exist a black and white cut of this film, but for whatever the fuck reason, they decide not to include it in disc format, and I have to assume uh, it was a you know simple economics kind of thing, where... This is already a multi-disc pack. Um, I think there's four discs in this um, for the Blu-ray and the 4K. The the movie is on two discs Mm. because it's so goddamn long. Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, So doing yet another printing of the movie in one of or both formats would warrant another, at least another two discs. And I, I imagine... The, the money people probably looked at that and were like, fuck you. <laughs> no way, man. Like, like one, we're, you know, that cuts down on the number of people who will be willing to open their wallets to buy the thing. And two, manufacturing the thing, that just drives up the cost ever so slightly as well. Um, so it's a curious decision. But, you know, like I said, this is a, a cheat pick. Um, I don't actually own the blue, the black and white version of the movie in physical format. But I don't think anybody does unless they pirated it and burnt it themselves or something but um what did you think of this one brad because you didn't do a full episode on this for the cinema speak podcast did you uh i believe i think we did actually um oh wow we at least talked about it but uh what did i think about it i think i i agree that it was better than the original version i don't know my my memory is pretty fuzzy because um i i did the whole you know, I did the challenge. I watched the original cut and the uh, Zack Snyder version in one weekend. So it was like, you know, nearly seven hours of Justice League content. I was pretty burnt out on everything Justice League. Um, 
but I, you know, I, I did appreciate some of the, uh, some of the sequences were memorable. I liked that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't as jokey. Um, but again, it's something that's like, it's hard to judge because it's like, yeah, this is like closer to Zack Snyder's version of what he wanted it to be. But, um, it's also like, this would have never come out in theaters like this. So it's just, it's kind of weird to compare it. Like, you know, but, um, I do agree that it's, it's an interesting experiment and I know you, you love collections of cuts. So I know you, you get off on it. Um, and you know, I think it's a fair thing to say they, they did put it out on disc, but to say at least, you know, if you want the justice is gray version, you have to, um, get their streaming service. So that's a little bit of a fair, you know, we'll give you the physical copy, but if you want this version, you got to subscribe, like, you know, that's, I can, I can respect that. That's okay. And, but it probably ultimately is more just less to manufacture than two. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause like, I'm not bothered by the fact that there's no black and white cut in the box. Like I'm not going to watch it anyway. It's, it's, it's not a big deal to me. Um, but I do, I, that it's like in in this age of streaming um it's actually just kind of a little bit of a mini miracle i guess that it even exists in physical form Mm -hmm. Uh, because these days that's actually kind of a problem with a lot of streaming services especially a lot of that netflix stuff never finds its way uh, to any disc format um which kind of sucks for for people like brad and i who who enjoy actually gobbling this shit up um but I guess you know it, it does have the the Warner Brothers DC like IP behind it, so it's like it it would make sense to to publish discs of it. It's just you never you never know, like you never know that it even something as big as a Justice League movie, like a secondary cut of it. If we're being honest, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me actually if they just never bothered. Um, so it occupies space on my shelf largely as a novelty. It's not like I have any particular attachment to it. I think it's okay. Um, but it, it's just kind of fascinating that it exists. Um, yeah. Especially in the form that it does, where it's like, this, this had quite a lot of effort and, mo- and more importantly, money thrown at it. Um, it's very, <laughs> very expensive second chance for an already not very good film. <laughs> it's like very unlikely. It never would. I really didn't believe it was going to happen until it did if Mm -hmm. i'm being honest yeah i i never thought it would happen um but those uh i mean what was it uh i think it was zach's i can't remember if it was justice league or if it was uh army of the dead but one of those movies did win the audience voted oscar for greatest movie moment of the year or something i can't remember but it was it was this one yeah it was justice league it was um, the it was the fucking flash sequence just amazing that like you know, never underestimate the Snyder Bros, I guess, because, like, just so, so I, great. I will never understand, like, what the attachment is. Like, mm-hmm. from an aesthetic standpoint, I think I think it's hideous in a lot of ways. Like, like his, his style is, it is his style, but it's like, man, like, I, I, I must just be wired really differently from some of the people out there. Because, like, I look at him like, it's all right. Like, it's distinct. But it's not anything that I, I would like form any sort of attachment to. Uh, it's like everything's kind of bronzed and and 
yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> and every everything ramps constantly. It's like everything gotta be fast, and then it's gotta be slow, and then it's gotta be fast again. Make it more bronze, <laughs> more abs. Damn it, <laughs> Army of the Dead. By the way, that was a that was an example of giving someone maybe a little bit too much creative control over mm-hmm. something. Yeah, uh, that was that was a fucking mess. Um, I didn't bother watching the follow up to it. Did you? No, I, I never got around to that one. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that even happened. Yeah, it's it's it's. I don't even remember the title, but it's it's about like a bank heist or something. It's about the German guy who was like one of the least interesting characters in in that first movie that didn't exactly have interesting characters. Um, yeah, that happened, um, and now I guess his his next thing is it's called like Rebel Moon or something. I've seen some like production art of it, but yeah. it's, I guess he's he's got something cooking at the moment that all the Snyder Bros are really hyped about, and I'm just like, yeah, what is it? <laughs> yeah, it's another Netflix movie, I think. Right? I'm pretty sure. Uh, probably. I, yeah. I don't actually know, but like the production art I saw, I was like, is this like a secret like Red Faction movie? Like, do you, do you know Red Faction, Brad? I don't think so. Okay, maybe I'm showing my age, but Red Faction was a it was like a first generation PlayStation two game where the, the whole gimmick was that it's basically total recall. It's like about a, a, a minor revolt, not, not young people like, like coal miner, miner, um, uh, on, on Mars against like a big corporation. And the whole gimmick to the gameplay was, it was called geo mod technology and you could use explosives to alter the terrain. So like if th- if people are like crossing a bridge, you could blow up the bridge, or like if there's a door that you were too dumb to find the key for, you could blow a hole through the wall. Um, anyway, they made a whole bunch of those games. And like looking at the production art, I was like, is this like, is this like a Red Faction game or something? <laughs> it's like, we're I'm, I'm calling it now, Red. I think I think we're at the precipice of the age of the Space Marine film. Where, where that's that's going to be the thing that they're throwing that Hollywood is throwing at us relentlessly for the next yeah. several years. Inspired yeah. by something, or just uh, you have a feeling. <sighs> I mean, I'm speaking chiefly from from an American perspective. Uh, in case you, listeners or viewers couldn't tell from from the dialect, but um, uh, I don't know. Just just like the overall vibe is, it's a little aggressive. Um, there's like from a political standpoint there's there's a lot of chest pounding going on right now um when henry cavill is i mean henry cavill the mascot of the snyderverse um he's ousted from the witcher and is now talking about doing a warhammer movie like when i think about like i don't know if he's doing a warhammer like medieval or or 40k but if he's doing a 40k movie it's like when i think about what the story behind all that shit is it's just like oh so it's just big old space war huh it's like okay it's just existence is war and so i'm just i'm thinking thinking maybe we're gonna see like another starship troopers movie like an unironic starship troopers movie or something uh probably a warhammer movie um and now this rebel moon movie i'm I'm picturing a lot of guys with spacesuits and rifles that that's what i'm picturing for the next several years we had a Moonfall last year. That was kind of kind in that zone a little bit. Roland Emmerich's Moonfall. Yeah, and in China they had The Wandering Earth two, mm-hmm. um, which I think was also like a billion dollar movie. The first one I've heard actually those movies are good, and they're not they're not like Space Marine movies. They're actually like 
hard sci-fi movies. I've heard they're very good, um, but they made a fuck ton of money. Um, anyway, I'm talking directly out my ass uh, about nothing in particular, so I think it's time to move on. Uh, so, Brad, uh, what is your next uh, black and white pick here? Well, let's go with, since you went with one that's, uh, you know, like a modern day black and white or gray uh i'll go with something certainly not modern day anymore but uh something that at one time it was modern day and it was black and white by you know that was a a choice uh and it is mel brooks young frankenstein young frankenstein by mel brooks of course here it's all colorful but course it's black and white as a reference to frankenstein and i think i would say this is probably my favorite mel brooks movie um i don't know if i would say it's his funniest but it's kind of just the one that i think it works the best like it's i feel like it's not trying to be quite as gag a minute as some of his other stuff and so there's a lot less misses um but i being kind of a horror guy, I like being in that genre more than like, for example, like blazing saddles. I think a lot of people would point to that as their favorite Mel Brooks movie. I'm not like the biggest Western guy, so I don't really get much out of it besides the humor, which is, you know, it's got its funny moments, but it's nothing that blows me away. Um, but no, I, I generally like Mel Brooks's stuff. There's some of his stuff. I, haven't seen um but yeah this is definitely one of my favorites great cast and uh i honestly i think i have seen it more i'm almost positive i've seen it more times than the actual um frankenstein film so going back and watching the original now it just feels very strange because it's like this was obviously referencing that movie but now i'm experiencing the original movie through the eyes of having watched young frankenstein a million times um but it is it is a a, definitely a film i grew up with and i i like it quite a lot yeah uh, like you my i probably have seen young frankenstein infinitely more than i have the actual boris karloff uh, frankenstein Mm -hmm. um and i most certainly saw young frankenstein first um, when I was a kid, I, I really did like a lot of Mel Brooks films. Actually, that was not in the regular rotation for me. Um, Blazing Saddles was, um, along with Spaceballs. Yeah, um, yep. I, I watched the hell out of both of those. Um, love, love them. Um, Mel, Mel Brooks generally works for me. Um, he's also he's also one of those directors that I would I would love to actually just watch everything he did. Um, his filmography is not as dense as some of the other people we've mentioned today, um, but he is beloved for a reason. And actually, whenever I think of comedy and the style of comedy films in particular that, that I miss, I, I he's always who I have in the back of my head, even if I don't directly cite him. Like it, I, I miss just the silliness of his movies and, and, the, and the quickness. Like the simultaneous outright dumbness, but also quickness in the writing. Um, yeah, he, Mel Brooks is fucking great, and uh, he has like a he has like a Hulu film coming out soon, right? Yeah, I be- I think it's a show actually. Um, oh, okay. But I don't think he directed it. I don't. Th- okay. I think he. I'm sure he produced it or whatever. And I don't know if you saw the trailer. He introduces the trailer. Um. But I will say, I, the, 
watch the trailer and it uh... yeah i'm not i'm not excited i'm actually worried where it's like yeah. man you you if you had walked away with curb your enthusiasm with with that producer season like mm-hmm. like you would have been on top of the world man like i i'm not impressed with the very little that i've seen uh from 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 it's like history of the world part two or something yeah um but it doesn't change the fact that it's like i'm just glad that we still have him oh yeah um, actually i actually have on my reading list um i think it's it's called all about me <laughs> it's it's his biography i think yeah um i i would love to read that uh, just because he seems like a very interesting fella um and his his films just his style is so much his own and i god damn i I miss it (laughs) like i don't want it to i don't want like a shitty parody of it to come back i I just want to live in those movies like if if that makes sense yeah no absolutely i mean i'm yeah like it just feels like again this is based on the trailer but the the hulu series it just it doesn't have the same feel it's just like it yeah it feels like a copy of a copy of a copy kind of thing um and also I don't know. I'm kind of like, I don't like that. You know, one of the best things about History of the World Part One is that it is there's no sequel. Like, I remember watching History of the World Part One with some friends back when we were probably like ten or eleven or something, and you know, just dying laughing. Oh yeah. And then uh, I remember the movie ended, and we were like, "All right, now we got to go find Part Two at the video store," and like not, you know, being at an age where. You know, back in the day, like, you know, there was internet, but it wasn't like we looked everything up. Like, we just assumed there was a part two. You know, we just, we had the first one. I think it was like an older brother's VHS or something. We just were like, oh, there's got to be a part two. And then finding out there wasn't, and then, like, that is half the joke is that they called it part one. Um, So, yeah, it feels a little gross to me. I mean, yeah, I I do actually like that gag. Like, I, it's not up to us anymore but you know that that is a fun gag where it's like even the title of the film has a jokey quality mm-hmm. to it where it's like there is no part two fuck off <laughs> it's yeah. like there's never going to be a part two fuck off um actually it's um it's like a uh, leonard part six if yeah you've ever heard yeah of that movie. fuck that movie's terrible <laughs> <laughs> but at least they have one decent gag that they go to great lengths to over explain throughout the film but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would actually love to go back and rewatch Young Frankenstein. It has so many good gags, um, and Gene Wilder is always—he's just amazing mm-hmm. in pretty much everything he does, and that movie is no exception. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how many times I've seen that one, um, but I do know that that was also like a strong recommend from my dad when I was a kid. It's just we didn't have it, so I'd never had as many opportunities to watch it, but. Now, now that it's like in my mind, I'm like, hmm, I, I gotta get the girlfriend up to speed with, with Mel Brooks because I don't even think she's seen one of his films. Oh wow, I yeah. Start with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if my girlfriend's seen any either. Um, but just I just wanted to point out last thing. Going back, looking on IMDb uh, now, maybe one of these years is like maybe one was like premiered at a film festival. I don't know, but listed as Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein came out in the same year. I mean. Big talk fucking year. Talk about a big like that's up there with Jim Carrey's ninety four. Like that's like to have two, those two movies, which a lot of people would probably 
put up there in some of the greatest comedies of all time, both in the same year, that's that's a pretty big accomplishment. That's quite the achievement. Holy shit, I yeah. didn't know those dropped the same year. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is that the that the I don't know what what it is, like maybe it's the lighting and the cinematography or the fact that there's so many like stunt casted um celebrities in the trailer for the history of the world part two i was getting like epic movie vibes from it mm-hmm. in like the worst way it's like it, it didn't help too that a lot of times i was seeing these ads like muted because <laughs> i was seeing them on like a twitter feed or something so i'm just seeing this parade of cameos and I'm just like I'm half expecting Rachel Dratch or whatever just step out and go, I'm Harry Potter or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, God damn it. Are we doing this shit again? Is, yeah. it, is it the 20 year rule kicking into effect? It might like, be. Are we, back, are we back at parody movies? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not that I hate it. Not that I, I mean, a good parody movie I enjoy, but they're, I, yeah, they're just seldom done right. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, just so we're clear, like, there's nothing wrong with a parody film. I mean, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, The Space Vault, all that stuff. There's there's good examples and then there's bad examples. And we were inundated with bad ones through a lot of the 2000s. Um, so anyway, I, I suppose the pick is to me. Um, good pick, by the way. Uh, any excuse to talk about Mel Brooks. Um, so what are we doing? Um, I have an obvious pick um, that does kind of complement that one, um, but I'm not going to do that um, because I've talked about it too many fucking times on this show. Um, <laughs> so I think Brad probably knows what I'm referencing here. Um, if not, he can probably figure it out. Um, so I'm going to pick a film here that also, um, due to the, the time of its release and the technology of the day, absolutely did not have to be in black and white um but it was a directorial choice and it was an excellent one Uh, i have here uh the 4k version of uh, martin scorsese's raging bull um that's bobby d on the cover there robert de niro as jake clamata um yeah i I picked this up uh, asap um when it came out on 4k uh, because this is a fantastic film uh if memory serves, it came out in 1980 and sometimes is cited um, by folks as being like the movie of the decade. So it's saying quite a lot when you're when you're probably publishing that article at the end of the decade. And this came out 10 years earlier. Uh, it says a lot that the person writing that article retained memory of it. But um, this is a fantastic film, but it's also kind of a hard watch. Uh, I don't imagine a lot of people can digest this film as easily as i do i'm i'm a fucking weirdo grad i laugh at some of the most inappropriate shit <laughs> like, like there's a lot of really intense scenes in this movie that for some reason it's i don't know if it's like a nervous response or something or like a childhood trauma coming out but like i'll just go <laughs> it's like it's like trevor that is not funny don't do that and it's like it's funny to me it's like i see what you, you mean i i see what you mean if we're thinking of some of the same moments yeah, I, I think you know. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. But this this is this is a very 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 intense film. Uh, it also deals with the sport of boxing, which um, it's kind of funny how how things work out. Where it's like I I'm a fan of the sport in general, um, but perhaps more importantly the the, the history of the sport. Um, and yet this is a movie that probably 
you could excise pretty much all of the boxing aspect of it and it would still i would still highly regard it uh, because it's primarily a drama um, most of which takes place outside of the ring um, but from a performance standpoint robert de niro really does knock it out of the park um, that this is a very multi-dimensional performance um, and also uh, one of the most commonly cited examples of of method acting um, especially in 1980 where basically this was the role where Robert De Niro gained a fuck ton of weight but also got in crazy good shape um, training up for the boxing sequences so uh, it's very well remembered in film history because of that it's also one of the earliest roles for Joe Pesci, I think, if not his first film role. Um, killer debut, if that was in fact true. Um, he really kills it. Um, he makes an impression, and I couldn't really think of anyone else who could stand opposite De Niro in some of the scenes for this um, and, and make them sing to the same degree that, that he makes them. Um, but yeah, Raging Bull is, is fantastic. It is intense. It's not a movie I could recommend to everyone, um, but for me, it's like, this is fucking cinema, man. <laughs> like, this is, this is a great ass film that also happens to deal with subject matters and yeah, subject matters that, that actually I find personally very interesting, like chiefly chief among them, the sport of boxing, the people who gravitate to the sport of boxing, um, violence and masculinity. Um, it's its meditations on what it means to be a man um, are thought-provoking and and very 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 intense at times <laughs> like I, I can't emphasize that enough it 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 goes deep <laughs> yeah scorsese does not miss especially uh at that point in his career um and i forgot i have that one i forgot i had that i didn't pull that off the shelf um oh. i haven't i haven't watched the criterion yet it's actually I have seen the film. I've only seen it once, and it's been a while. That is one I definitely do need to revisit because um, I remember thinking it was great. But yeah, I know like a lot of people say it is one of the greats. Not only is it great, it is one of the greats. Um, but yeah, I mean it's 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 an amazing film, and uh, I'm assuming the Criterion 4K looks phenomenal. It does. Um, it they did a fantastic job with it. Um, it is a black and white film, um, but it loses nothing in the translation. Like the the inky blackness of a lot of, of a lot of the shots is really incredible. As is, like they apply like a, a a hazy kind of like smoky effect, especially in a lot of the the boxing sequences in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it has almost like a a Lynchian like almost like eraser head kind of vibe um, in in some of the sequences where. It, it seems like they're deliberately trying to like portray the being in the ring as like being in a, a circle of hell yeah. or something. Um, and it, it comes across as almost impressionistic at times. In fact, it was really interesting. Um, like I, I, a long time ago, not, not on this disc, but like a, a DVD that I had many, many years ago. Um, I remember watching some of the featurettes, um, and I, re- I remember it was really fascinating to hear Scorsese talk about the film um, because if memory serves, like he didn't like the book um, that a lot of the stories are, are pulled from. I mean, it's it's a real story, like it's based on real people, but there is a book, I believe, titled Raging Bull, I think penned by LaMotta and probably somebody helping him as well. 
Um, but I seem to remember he like didn't care much for the book. But more importantly, he doesn't like boxing. Mm-hmm. Like he has no appreciation for boxing. And I was like, really? But then I thought about it a little bit more, and it's like, you know, maybe that's part of why this movie's so special is because he he doesn't approach it from a spectacle standpoint. He's like, this is barbaric. Yeah. I fucking hate this. Like, yeah. This is not fun. This this is something that crazy people do. <laughs> like, like as opposed to someone like, you know, Sylvester Stallone directing a Rocky movie or something where it's a, it, it's a different perspective on things where it's like it, it's an opportunity for, for glory and accomplishment, whereas Scorsese's view... Um, and the life story of Jake LaMotta is just a fucking horror story where it's like this guy, it seems like he, it almost seems like he's, he's masochistic to some degree where it's like, he, he's such a monster outside of the ring, but he never takes accountability for any of his antics. And I guess the, the way that he, it, it's almost like self-flagellation or something where he's like, I got to take my lick somewhere. I guess I'll just let this guy hit me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, I'm not going to just let him. But you know, if I get my ass, if I get my face pounded in, yeah, it's, it's part of the job, you know, the occupational hazard. Um, so, from a filmmaking standpoint, the way he shoots and edits a lot of the boxing sequences is really interesting. Where it, it does, I use the word impressionistic. It does kind of have that vibe to it, where it's not, it's not meant to be taken in as, as like a cohesive action spectacle or something where like each shot flows cleanly into the next and like each beat in the choreography it it's not dance like it's it's almost staccato in in where in how the images are thrown at you um it's a very interesting take on things um it it does have an ethereal kind of like otherworldly vibe to it that is somewhat unique in the genre yeah just it in terms of just like it being also a really interesting character study of this guy and yeah i guess i don't know if i knew that about scorsese not liking boxing but that makes total sense when you watch the film (laughs) yeah yeah i i was shocked by that because i would have assumed you know especially just from his age range and where he grew up it's like you know it's it's probably kind of a popular thing you know but i guess like no he just never had much appreciation for it and i do think it translates to the end product pretty well Mm mm-hmm yeah, might need to do a might need to do a full Scorsese deep dive this year to get prepped for Killers of the Flower Moon or Killer of the Flowers Moon or whatever it's called. Um, I think you had it right the first time. I think so. When, yeah. When is that scheduled to drop? I don't know actually. Uh, yeah, but it is on track for this year for sure. Yeah, I know that much, but I have no idea what time of year. But um, man, I wonder how many titles he has under his belt. He's got a handful i'm sure he's got a he's, he's got a few he's got a few <laughs> he's pretty prolific yeah and and i don't know if you would include it but like he's also done those music documentaries and whatnot as well yeah i mean i've got uh what is it, the last waltz i've got that criterion 4k as well is that black and white i want to say or is that uh that might be like mm. almost like sepia toned or something I or can't remember sorry yeah I've never seen it, so I don't know. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, good stuff. Good okay. pick. Real good pick. Thanks, man. Um, that being said, I think that's enough for Raging Bull. Um, throw it over to you again, Brad. What is your next grayscale pick? Well, okay. You kind of actually already mentioned uh, one of these, and I'll just burn through this one. 
I won't go too into detail with it. Um, but I have two films from the same director. The first one that you did mention, I have Eraserhead, the David Lynch movie. I'm sure I've talked about both of these, so I won't go too in-depth. But I love David Lynch. I think if I had to pick one filmmaker to say, like, that is my favorite filmmaker, it would be David Lynch. Um, Eraserhead, his debut movie, is amazing. Like, so, so good. Um, but I won't go too into that one um because i'll mention uh the elephant man which these are both criterion picks the elephant man um both happen to be in my criterion section right next to each other on the shelf so i had to grab both um the elephant man it was uh his follow-up to eraser head eraser head very you know experimental very uh surreal not really any sort of plot to it. It was kind of like, you know, like a, a, a cult movie, a midnight cult movie. This movie was clearly uh, much more of a kind of, it, I think, I think it was, I don't know what studio made it, but it, it's a Paramount Pictures movie, or at least they distributed it or whatever. So it was a bit of a bigger film for him. He had some stars in here, Anthony Hopkins, of course, John Hurt. Um, and you could say it was like, it could have been a a uh, to take a word to to take a word out of uh, uh, Jake Lamada is that his name his mouth it could have been a contender it could have been an awards contender you know what I'm saying it could have been that kind of film and I do believe it was nominated for quite a few Oscars but the way that uh, Lynch makes the film it it is much more stylized and it truly does feel like a David Lynch movie. What could have been just like, you know, your, you know, paint by numbers, Oscar bait kind of biopic. He 100% makes his own partly because of the visuals, the black and white visuals, which are great. But, um, of course the opening and closing sequence, the surreal dreamlike sequence, which kind of frames and everything in the film is pure David Lynch. Um, but I recently, read something on Twitter and it kind of expresses something about Lynch's films that I've felt that I haven't really been able to put into words exactly in that. Yes. Everyone's like, Oh, David Lynch, he's the weird director. He's the weird guy. But somebody posted on Twitter. I saw a tweet. They said, yes, David Lynch's films are weird, but the only reason they work is because they show us the, the humanity or the, you know, the real people, the real world, the, you know, the, the human core that grounds all the weirdness. Like you can have a film that's just total weirdness and you know, they're just like, okay, yeah, whatever. But his films have that uh, grounding of character and emotion and uh, they're never really weird for weirdness sake. And this might be the best example of that. And that it is a deeply human film. Like, and I, for a weird director, I don't think anybody could have made a movie about, uh, John Merrick, I believe is his name. Uh, that's quite as moving. Like it, it really, it, it works very well. It's very emotional. Yeah. That's very high on my list of movies of his that I, I need to check out. Um, because I do know as far as like uh, mainstream success and appeal, um, that is very high on his list. It's like one of his more approachable films, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, like across a stellar filmography, it's just like, you know, it's, maybe not the most representative of of the overall body of work but it is 
you know, it's a softball, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a baby bouncy. You can, you can, you can get this one out of the park. Trust me. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I've, I've wanted to see that for a very, very long time. And yeah, uh, I, as, as much as I am a novice when it comes to David Lynch, um, what you had said, you, you read off of the Twitter that, that, that does seem to be very, very true. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I actually am more familiar with interviews with the man than I am with his films because I find him endlessly fascinating, even if I haven't seen that many of his movies. Um, I did actually watch that documentary, um, just about him. That's the framing device of it is just him painting with like his daughter. I've wanted to watch that. Is it, is it good? It is. Um, it, it's, it's not like super like revelatory or anything. He, he always has that kind of odd quality to him. That's like, I, you could interview him for 30 days straight and you probably still wouldn't know him very well. Like, like he see, he, he always seems like there's, there's a, a barrier or like a buffer between like interviewer and subject or something. He's mysterious in that way. He's enigmatic. Um, but that's part of what makes him so fascinating. But um, he does share like stories from growing up and a, a common theme. I, I could be talking out my ass, but something I picked up on is that like a, a fairly common theme in his youth anyway, was that like mundanity and either violence or, or absurdity were always like rubbing right up against each other mm-hmm. where it's just like he had a basic boring ass existence in the suburbs and then oh yeah some lady got like clobbered by a car right in front of him or something it's just like yeah stuff like that happens you know or like yeah some guy ran out into the front lawn and was like beating his kids in front of me you know it happens and then like months go by or years go by where you just riding your bike around the suburbs it's just, yeah we watched a lot of tv <laughs> oh yeah and then some guy beat his wife in front of me or, or something like that and i want to say that like that stuff like that like that kind of rhythm to his life um probably served as like the canvas for for the way his art plays out or i forget what movie it is but um maybe it was like blue velvet or something um you would know but basically there's that iconic shot where we go from the suburbs and we descend under the ground and we see like insects and earthworms and stuff writhing around yeah it's blue velvet yeah, I I know things. See, <laughs> I know I know some things, but I I feel like that that's what I think of. Even even if I couldn't say that that extends to every film he makes, I feel like that's what I carry with me going into a lot of his films. It's like there's going to be a lot of very familiar images, especially kind of like a semi-retro aesthetic, like probably pulled from his youth or something that is just crystallized in his mind as being. I don't know if it's idyllic or if it's just something he likes from a style standpoint, like from like from an aesthetic standpoint. But there's going to be a lot of that. But like, peel like one layer of the surface off, and it's going to get really fucking weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to get really fucking loud and really fucking weird. It's just over there. It's just in the periphery. Yeah. Um. That's always what I think of when I think of him. Yeah. I mean, just look at the fact that, um. He says he made the movie uh, The Straight Story for Disney um, about a man who rides a lawnmower. True story about a man who drives a lawnmower across the country to go see his sick brother. And it's his, like, just most straightforward kind of movie. Um, Maybe besides The Elephant Man, but, you know, it's 
it's just a straightforward movie. It's not very plot heavy, but just the fact that uh, David Lynch has, he's called that movie his most experimental film, uh, so, <laughs> which I love. I love that. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, there's a lot of, with any filmmaker, there's a lot of reoccurring themes in his work, but yeah, that idea of uh, the normalcy of the suburbs or society and the dark, layer beneath that is something that is in maybe nearly all of his work at some level yeah i mean just as an outside observer who hasn't watched that many of his movies that's that was the thing that jumped out at me but i would recommend that that a uh, documentary by the way mm-hmm. um, yeah it's one i've been wanting to watch for a while it was just a nice watch like i said it's not gonna teach you a whole lot about the man um but you will get to see a lot of his mixed media art um and you just get to hang out with him for a while and like i said i i, I enjoy just listening to him talk because i find it very interesting he always has he he has the most unique of perspectives um like i said i i don't think myself or many other people would probably ever be able to actually understand the man um but you know sometimes you don't have to it's just like take it in there's the man himself <laughs> man of the hour right there <laughs> um, but yeah he's it's looking pretty sharp there actually he he's uh, he always looks great <laughs> i'm always jealous of his hair man i know like he's, it, it's kind of amazing actually that that quaff it, it just it's just well preserved it, yeah. he's, he's retained it all these years yeah it just looks fucking great <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i really need to check that one out though um, I've I've heard it's very very good. I know I know it was very popular when it came out. Um, as far as time frame goes, like so that came out immediately after Eraserhead. Like that was his very next project. I do believe so. Yeah, this was uh, Eraserhead was seventy seven and uh, Elephant Man was eighty. So where does Dune reside in his filmography? I think Dune was directly after Elephant Man, so it was, uh, I want to say that was 84, maybe? Um, yeah, w- without actually checking, that that adds up. Yeah. It's like he has the art house hit, he has the mainstream hit, and then he has the big mainstream flop. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate. Yeah. Unfortunate. He bounced back, though, because I think, I think Blue Velvet was next, I think. So, and I think he got yeah. an Oscar nomination for that one again, so... He's doing fine. <laughs> no, he's doing he's doing great. In fact, I, I think like as as upset as he was with the making of Dune in particular, um, I I, th- I think he's often said that it, you know it 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 wasn't for him to begin with. Where it's just like that was his one shot at like doing a a big a big Hollywood extravaganza film, and it's just like you know what I did it, and now I know it's not for me. So I'm just going to go do my mini DV cams with Laura Dern in the woods now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's worked out. He's doing just fine. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, we got the elephant man from uh, David Lynch. Uh, So um, what am I going to do here? Uh, It's going to be a weird one. Uh, Sorry, Brad probably probably not probably going to be a one-sided conversation but i'll i'll get through it quick if i can uh, i have here the 30th anniversary edition huh didn't know that um on blu-ray from media blasters uh i have here 
uh, Zeram, uh, from director Keita Amemiya, um, who is a Japanese filmmaker um, who I often think of primarily as being a uh, like a production designer or an artist rather than a filmmaker. Um, but he he's kind of special to me uh, because his his style, his aesthetic sensibilities really 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 work for me um his he has kind of a uh almost like giger-esque like biotechnological vibe to a lot of his design work um but more than that um he works a lot with uh sumie uh so like brush brush ink um and his style often combines like fantastical ancient japanese design work with futuristic technological design work um, so you get this fusion that that it's stunningly cohesive as as all over the places that sounds like he really puts it together in a really beautiful way um, and I could just look at his designs all day long um, but the the one thing that has always jumped out about me is that he has worked primarily in the field of live action film and yet when you look at his design work it seems like wouldn't, wouldn't this be like more economical and probably more flexible and, and easier to work with in animation? And he has worked in animation before, but very seldom, actually. And I always thought it was really fascinating. That's like he his chosen field seems to be the hard road where it's like we don't have the money or the resources to do that, though, buddy. And he's like, no, <laughs> we're doing it live, damn it. <laughs> and I've always found that really neat. Uh, because I, a lot of his films, especially in the 90s, kind of have what I like to call a, uh, a sci-fi via hot glue gun aesthetic to them. Where it's just like, I'm pretty sure I've seen those mechanical components like in my dad's truck or something back in the day. And some asshole in the prop department just hot glued it to something like a vacuum cleaner and said, that'll work. And we'll spray paint it and we're good to go. It's kind of like the, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 school of prop prop development um but it's like very charming as a result where it's like it has a slightly chintzy vibe to it but it actually makes it more charming um anyway uh, as a filmmaker um i believe this was maybe his directorial debut uh zeram um and this movie is very flawed but also very 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 entertaining um especially because it's one of those movies that wears its influences directly on its sleeve, like loudly and proudly. Like there, there are direct references to aliens uh, in the form of someone arriving in a construction vehicle that is backlit almost identically to, to how uh, the power loader was introduced in, in aliens. Um, Also some of the design work of the creatures and whatnot. Um, The structure of it is very Terminator esque. Um, but basically the, the plot involves uh, this woman here on the cover here, uh, Iria, uh, fighting this monster here that's kind of hard to see, uh, Zeram. I looked the up character. the, the um, monster while you were talking, and I got to say, I am very much Pretty fan. badass. I, I, yeah. I really dig it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also the John Carpenter's The Thing was also a heavy influence on this as well. So the, the monster continually changes shape and and transforms uh, as the movie progresses and it gets more and more absurd this is one of those movies that's like it it's really it's really funny where it's it's almost like farcical at times where it takes like 
a really something that starts out pretty simple and then because of buffoonery and and shenanigans it just keeps getting out of hand and getting worse and worse and worse and part of the gimmick of the movie is that this female character is very very capable she's like a, a space bounty hunter of sorts um and she holds her own whenever she has to fight the monster but unfortunately due to like logistical issues sometimes she's not around to fight the monster so it falls to like just a couple of hapless japanese electricians who just happen to be caught in the crossfire it falls to them to just have to grapple with this monster without even really knowing what it is or how to fight it yeah so it's like it it bounces back and forth between this like action sci-fi like spectacle film to just a couple of fucking buffoons like getting up to like abbott and costello-esque shenanigans it almost (laughs) has that like abbott and costello meet the wolfman kind of vibe okay vibe at times Uh, so it's a surprisingly goofy movie um but really at the end of the day the aesthetics are what sell it for me um i i love looking at his designs um the soundtrack is actually really badass as well um i love the instrumentation in it a lot of it is synth but um they also incorporate a lot of traditional japanese instruments and cadences um and combines beautifully the the opening title sequence in this is outstanding um and from a special effects standpoint it is of its time for sure um but they're very 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 ambitious with some of the opticals and stuff that they try to incorporate in there a lot of the uh animatronic effects and puppetry are pretty good like some of them are pretty fucking hokey but when it's good it's great uh when it's not it's it's still charming anyway yeah. <laughs> but there is a there is a sequel to it as well as a uh, ova series and anime like a, a i think it's like four or five episodes or something um that incorporates a lot of the same characters and design work and stuff but uh keita amimiya is one of those directors that uh he has gone on to bigger and better things um if you ask me somewhat for the worse um he has a franchise right now called a garo um that started out in like 2007 i think and i gobbled it up i watched every episode of it it was fantastic but I very foolishly approached it thinking it was going to be like a one and done. Like I, I didn't think of it as being the start of a of a juggernaut franchise. I underestimated the the Japanese media companies because as soon as something catches on, it's like you know Pokemon forever, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, that's exactly what happened to to Garo. Is mm-hmm. it started out? I liked it, and then they kept making it, and I was like, I don't have time for this like i i'm enjoying it but i I just don't have the time to devote to this so i watched like the first couple of series and like one of the tv specials and i was just like you know like sorry man especially when uh they changed over the special effects technology from a suitmation uh, yeah uh, monster of the week episodes where uh men and rubber monster costumes like beat the fuck out of each other they changed the technology at some point like in the 2010s or something to full-on cgi Uh, as soon as they started doing that i was like okay now you're actively pushing me away from this i think i think it's time to call it good um but we'll always have zadram and uh actually um i've been wanting to review uh, a lot of his films for catching up on cinema um he has some short films like 45 minute films that uh 
I don't think would be up Kyle's wheel. Like, I don't think they'd be in Kyle's wheelhouse, but it's only 45 minutes, man. We can do that. Yeah, power through that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you can do that, right? No. So, actually, I, I that's like a, a secret project I've been keeping in my back pocket for a while now is to like devote a whole month to this guy just because I, I love looking at his designs. Like, I, his movies may not be the best, but there's a charm to them that is is unique. Um, uh, Hakaider or Hakaida uh, is a movie of his also that I would very much like to review. It's also fairly short. Um, that also has beautiful designs. Anyway, I've been rambling for far too long. I've, <laughs> I'm done. No, I mean just yeah. Based on the you know because this is, this is all new information to me. But based on the <laughs> uh, <laughs> based on the images I just looked up, and again I haven't seen them in motion or anything, but some just in terms of the creature effects for that movie i'm i'm in i'm in yeah last thing i'll say is um common writer zo um i've mentioned common writer on the show before in fact uh keep keep an eye on the uh blu-ray release calendar common writer black uh, is coming out on blu-ray soon oh, all right. super fucking hyped for that that's like as far as common writer shows go that's supposed to be like one of the very best um Kamen Rider Zoe is a uh, one of those uh 45 minute films. It was a direct to VHS movie at the time from the early 90s. Um from a plot structure standpoint, it is it is Terminator 2, like straight up. Um and it happened to come out like the year after Terminator 2. So they knew what they were doing. <laughs> but I would actually really highly recommend that just because it's you take all the charm of his designs and the special effects technology of the day and you and you take like a limited japanese production budget but then you condense it into a 45 minute film and what you have is just a parade of special effects most of which are excellent where it's very much uh, similar to like um a peter jackson uh, production where it's like an every trick in the book kind of production where it's like we have 45 minutes no no story that we tell with this is going to be super in-depth or anything but over the course of this 45 minute video uh, we're gonna have suitmation we're gonna have opticals we're gonna have a stop motion sequence just because we're gonna have complex wire work stunt work um, we're gonna have pr- some pretty solid action choreography uh, it looks fantastic and also sounds fantastic uh, the composer of it is the same as a common writer black um, and i think if memory serves you can actually find that movie on youtube for free okay like, actually actually uploaded to youtube from toy uh from the production company um that was probably my introduction to him um aside from maybe zayram um but yeah that 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 one's a lot of fun that's actually top of my list as far as things that i would want to review uh for for the podcast someday is is this i'm just looking at images is this movie black and white Zeram is not actually. This was one of my cheat picks. Okay, maybe you already. Did you explain this while I was looking at pictures? Uh... <laughs> no, I I did not. Okay, um, okay. You okay. caught you you caught me, Brad. You caught me. Um, so allow me to explain. Uh, so this is a cheat pick. Um, only the prologue, only the opening sequence of the movie is black and white. Um, but actually, if you were to watch that sequence, Brad, uh, you'd probably find a little bit of David Lynch in there. Um, because the the cinematography and the the style of lighting uh, in that opening sequence is very Eraserhead esque, um, very. Um, it's only a couple minutes, um, but it's glorious 
it's like murky black and white like it has a, it has a particular look to it it has a lot of uh, smoke and haze in there a lot of inky blacks um but yeah the whole movie though is not black and white it's just okay. the opening sequence all right all right makes sense then uh, that's why we have brad on the show he's a stickler for the rules <laughs> <laughs> i was like am i just looking at the wrong thing here what's going on now it's like, yeah, you're looking at the Ted Turner cut of, of Zero. You're looking at the TBS cut of yeah, Zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, anyway, that's enough out of me. Um, you got you got one more pick in you, Brad? Yeah, I can do one more. Um, I guess uh, I guess I'll go with this one. Because, um, oh, well, I'll save those till the end. I'll save those till the end. I got two more that I would probably be better picks, but kind of already tangentially talked about them so i won't go with that but this one i will mention a movie that uh i really like now um i guess i will say uh from my understanding i do believe this uh director has i i thought was canceled i thought this director was canceled but apparently not because they do have a new movie coming out this year with uh like you know this isn't some like you know side like you know low grade like like they got like a legit studio movie coming out this year but anyway just talking about the movie itself i have the movie nebraska which is a uh modern day black and white film alexander payne um who you know i generally like his films uh the movie coming out this year uh that he's doing is uh, a sequel to election he's uh directing that apparently or maybe it's coming out the year after i don't know but um nebraska i think is a great film probably one of his better movies um and part of the reason i like it so much is because of bruce dern's performance uh i think he is not only did it kind of re uh expose him to you know like he he kind of got a great resurgence after this you know he did a bunch of tarantino movies and stuff um but he got oscar nominated for this movie as a, a man who is growing older and you know losing his uh losing his wits to a certain extent and then uh will forte playing the son who i i really like their dynamic i like just the the dynamic of the the entire family in this and uh it's it really and i've never been to nebraska but it feels pretty genuine like it feels like it really captures um that sort of like right in the middle of the country nothing around you except farms um and obviously the idea of having it be black and white you know in a modern day movie it's always like okay well what is the purpose of that like it's obviously a choice you know the idea of you're in the middle of a country that is just just it's not literally gray but it's you know just corn and just you know farmland just crops for you know there's just no variety it's just it's all just the same and that's what these people live with day after day and also the idea of uh bruce dern as a character losing his memory slowly fading like his his wits um and that kind of idea so i think it's shooting it in black and white i think really works um and yeah it's 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 quite a funny film um very enjoyable and uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, I do remember liking it uh, quite a bit when it came out that year. And I think I've watched it maybe once since on the Blu-ray. But, um, 
yeah, when I, when I was Googling modern day black and white movies, uh, this was one of the ones that came up. So, and I do have this one. I actually didn't know that that was uh, shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I haven't seen it, um, but I, I do remember when it came out, it, it got a lot of positive buzz. I heard a lot of very good things about it. And I really do like Bruce Stern. Um, he's a very versatile performer. Uh, he's particularly good at being ornery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love I love it when he gets to be aggravated about whatever the fuck. Um, so hopefully he does that and that. But um, yeah, actually what you're saying about from a thematic standpoint, like why you would present that particular story in black and white, that all, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like that all sounds perfectly justifiable and it does sound like it plays into the narrative very well. Um, I would very much like to watch that movie, like if only just to see Bruce Stern's performance, of which I heard quite a lot of good about. But um, man, Brad, you're, you're the expert of picking directors that I should know a, a fuck ton about, but I probably don't. Um, so I'm looking over uh, Alexander Payne, who, as Brad said, apparently there's some reason for him potentially to be canceled. Uh, I'm not aware of that, so... I'm not going to get into that. Don't, don't get into uh, it. Don't do not get into it. Yeah, we're not getting into that. We don't. We're not here for that. But I will say, like, I'm looking over his filmography right now. Um, <laughs> interesting writing credits. Uh, so credited as writer or co-writer on both Jurassic Park three, and <laughs> I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, um, but. I can point to uh, a couple of movies of his that I didn't know were his um, that actually are kind of a big deal to me personally, Um, chief among which being About Schmidt. Um, I thought About Schmidt was fantastic. Um, I I really, really loved that movie. Um, I I don't remember the circumstances that brought me to About Schmidt, um, but I did see it around the time it came out, so I was probably partway into high school when I saw that movie, and for whatever reason... I, I sat down and I took it in a, a couple of times, in fact. Um, I really, really enjoy that movie. I, I thought it had a lot of interesting things to say. And from a performance standpoint, there's a lot of really neat things going on there. Um, I have not seen Sideways, but my brother actually has been on my case forever to check that one out. Um, Kyle as well, actually. Uh, both of them have had a, quite a lot of good things to say about that one. Um I know Election has a good reputation, but I don't know a whole lot about it, um, and I haven't had anybody directly recommend it to me. Well, let me do that for you right now, then. I uh, <laughs> I would probably say that's my favorite of his films, if I had to pick one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, du- duly noted. Uh, if you're going to check out a, uh, a film from a potentially canceled director, make it Election. <laughs> I, have to, I don't uh, think I've seen about Schmidt, though, so that's one I, I, need, to, I need to check that out. Okay, well, I would recommend that one to you then. Um, so I'll, I'll take your election and give you back about Schmidt. Um, uh, the Descendants, I remember seeing the premise of that and being puzzled. Um, I'm not quite sure what to get from that, but um, Nebraska, obviously, I've heard very, very good things about. Um, downsizing. Am I wrong in thinking that nobody liked that one or nobody saw that one, Brad? Uh, I did see it, um, but okay. it wasn't very. I didn't really like it. No, it was. It was a weird, weird. It was a weird movie. It was, yeah, yeah. I, I heard very little good about it. However, I think it gets brownie points now, uh, this year specifically because Hong Chao is in it, 
and this year is kind of a big year for her mm-hmm. um but at the time i don't think a, like i'm sure people took notice of her performance but i don't think you know she not a household name but the like because of the whale um kind of a big deal now um but yeah in, interesting filmmaker <laughs> like just looking at his his body of work um not really sure like i'm trying my best to like come up with like a cohesive identity for his filmography but when you have jurassic park 3 i now pronounce you <laughs> chuck and larry yeah oh yeah and 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 nebraska those are the all out- on the same film <laughs> those are the outliers i mean it's his all they're all just kind of like comedy dramas i guess if i had uh like they're all you know different but that's kind of the zone he works exclusively in um i mean i guess i would say if anything uh election i would say is probably the only one that is like an outright comedy um and all the other ones are they have comedic elements in them but i from what i can tell you know they're they are also leaning a little bit into the dramatic side where i think election is pretty much straight comedy through and through yeah i mean what what i know about the vibe of sideways um and having seen about schmidt it seems it seems like primarily dramatic stories but definitely tinged with quite with a degree of comedy Mm-hmm. It's like this isn't a straightforward drama. This is, this is a slightly heightened drama in the form of everybody being just a little bit goofier than than actual people you meet in your daily life, but you know, still readily identifiable as people that you meet in your daily life. Kind of kind of similar to like a like a Mike Judge interpretation of your neighbors or something. Yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. It's just like yeah, I've, I've met those people. They mm-hmm. weren't quite that funny, but you know, <laughs> but I've met those people. Yeah. <laughs> interesting pick uh, I, I i have never forgotten about nebraska like everything i heard about was good so keep just add it to the pile of shit that brad keeps throwing at me like things that i ought to watch instead of my endless list of scott adkins films <laughs> pile gets bigger and bigger every fucking month man every fucking month okay well, uh, that's enough out of the potentially canceled direction. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to lead with that, but I guess I was just like, well, maybe. I, uh. <laughs> well, that's that's part of existing on the internet, Brad, is, you know, some sometimes you just got to be careful. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's it's just better to make it known that, like, I I know this might set set some people off. It's like, we're not, we're not here to talk about that, though. Yep. We're here to talk about yep. something that that guy made (laughs) not the guy though okay so um i only have three picks left um so this is going to be my last formal pick um and then we'll move on to the speed round um but uh you know what fuck it i guess this isn't one that I, i i guess i'm left with like a few titles here that i'm not super enthusiastic about but uh fuck it uh, okay, so I have here a uh, 4K disc, a four-disc 4K set, another one, Brad, uh, of James Mangold's Logan. Ah, yes, uh, good call. James Mangold, of course, being a director who also has something in the pipe in the form of the new Indiana Jones film. Uh, and the reason why this qualifies, and I, I, I will you know disclose this at the top this time so there's no fucking confusion brad (laughs) 
Um, this also includes an additional disc that includes a cut of the film called Logan Noir um, that I'm guessing is intended to like piggyback on the Mad Max Fury Road uh, situation they had with the black and chrome edition of that film. As far as I know, this film, I don't think it was... I don't think it was filmed with the express intent of making a black and white film. I think it's it was just like a post-processing thing that they did. But the story goes with George Miller's uh, Mad Max Fury Road. The story goes that that was supposed to be a black and white film. Um, and then obviously it wasn't released as a, a black and white film. But there is a home video release of it um, in black and white called the Black and Chrome Edition. If anybody wants to check that out. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Uh, have you, Brad? Uh, no, I've never watched it. Um, weird choice, I think, because I feel like the the colors are part of the reason that I love Mad Max Fury Road so much. That was my interpretation. It was like I, I watched that film, and then I read about that after the fact. I was like, really? Yeah. Like, the color palette of this film is part of what makes it so dynamic. Um, but then again, I haven't seen the black and white version of it. Maybe it does maybe it does have something going for it i have heard that the uh the johnny mnemonic uh black and white edition that came out like just last year or something apparently that that actually works in its favor to some degree despite how much how many uh, splashes of color and and neon are present in that film apparently it does actually uh go with it pretty well um i have read that um the intention with the, with the finished product of that film, Giant Mnemonic, was that it was intended to be referencing uh, Shinya Tsukamoto, um, the Tetsuo, like the Iron Man and stuff. It was intending to like reference those those Japanese kind of like cyberpunk live action films that were coming out in the late eighties, early nineties. I don't buy it really, <laughs> like, but then again, I haven't seen. Uh, the black and white edition of the film that's just some blurb that i read somewhere anyway this film uh logan um plays pretty well in black and white um it helps that the the movie itself has kind of a, a almost like a sepia tone throughout it, it it's it's a lot of desert scenes uh there's a lot of washed out colors for the most part um and it's also extremely bloody as well um and some of the nighttime uh, scenes of violence in particular play pretty well in black and white where it almost aids in the intensity of it just a little bit um as far as i understand the movie was not intended for black and white it's just kind of a, a really neat little bonus like it's a whole extra disc they didn't have to do that now so i appreciate it but on the whole i really enjoyed this film i think it's I think it's kind of far and away the best Wolverine film. <laughs> I mean, X-Men Origins is fucking clown shoes. And then the Wolverine directed also directed by James Mangold is like, it's like two thirds or three quarters of a good movie. And then it gets to that final act. And it's just like, what are we doing? Like, man, I, Hugh Jackman and robots, man. <laughs> like, there's is there like a clause in his contract or something? It's like if I do this movie, there's gonna be a fucking robot. <laughs> it's like real steel and this around the same time. It's like fuck, man. What? Like, why did the Silver Samurai have to be a guy in power armor? Why yeah. couldn't it just be a guy in a suit of armor? And why did it have to be this big reveal? Like, the whole last act of that movie is a fucking mess. But the scene that happens like just before that uh with hiroyuki sanada um that sequence is like that could have been the whole movie like that it could have just been a short film 
I'm just glad we got that sequence because that is expertly done. Uh, they nailed that. Uh, they didn't nail everything in that movie, but they got it mostly right. For th- this one, I feel like they, they mostly get it right. Uh, it gets a little wonky from time to time, but you get some really stellar performances from both Hugh Jackman and uh, pretty much everybody involved. Uh, Boyd Holbrook, maybe not so much, but that a- that accent, man, it gets him a lot of mileage. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that much. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, good pick, black and white. Uh, I'm about done with that one. Any uh, any thoughts on Logan, Brad? No, I mean, yeah, I just I I love the film. I've never watched the black and white version though. Um, yeah, something I'd consider doing maybe the next time I watched it. Um, but yeah, good pick because I had thought I don't have the black and chrome edition, but thinking of other. Uh, movies that came out with alternate cuts in black and white uh i i'm pretty sure the mist uh i don't think i have that on blu-ray actually i think i only have the dvd but i'm pretty sure it also included a black and white version it did yeah frank darabont's the mist also has a black and white cut uh, i haven't seen that but i could see it playing really well Mm-hmm. Because the movie, it has it already has a 1950s like atomic age B movie kind of vibe to it, um, and what's more, some of the special effects are not amazing in that movie. If we're being honest, and the black and white could could I haven't seen it, so I don't know, but it could actually you know soften some of those rough edges. It's been a long um, time since I've seen it, but I think I do remember feeling that way. Um, but yeah, that's that's another one. I mean. You know, it's kind of a cool if you if your movie can justify it. Um, it's a cool extra little selling point uh, for you know when you put it out on physical media. Because um, yeah, I mean most of those movies, you know, like obviously Logan wasn't planned to be in black and white. Like The Mist, I think he said his intention he wanted it to be black and white, um, but he couldn't get it through the studio. So yeah, cool to have it both ways. You know, on disc at least. Yeah, actually, that's a movie that I, I would, I probably should just own because I really do like that one. Uh-huh. Um, I was actually just talking about Stephen King movies the other day with the Movies for Life people. We talked about so many Stephen King movies. So it's, it's funny. It's just it's just on my mind. But that's one that I've always really really enjoyed, and um, it would just be a nice excuse to check out the black and white version as well. But um, it's actually kind of funny that I'm kind of using my last pick here to highlight a bunch of b- like better movies that I don't own. <laughs> That's like you know this exists. I don't have it, but <laughs> but it's out there because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't have Fury Road Black and Chrome. I don't have Giant Mnemonic in any capacity. Um, but you know maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. There's not a whole lot to be said about Logan other than it's good. <laughs> I'd say great. Uh, it's great. It's it's great. It's, <laughs> yeah, folks at home, if you're not aware, that's basically Brad's catchphrase. It's a catch-all, in fact. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, I guess that concludes our uh, our picks for our uh, glorious grayscale uh, discussion here. But uh, as is customary, we will proceed uh, into what we call the speed round of the discussion where basically we take any runner up picks that we had any titles that we set aside that didn't we didn't take the opportunity to you know 
talk about at length. Um, so, Brad, uh, would you like me to go first? Uh, do you need a minute, or do you want to jump right in? Uh, I can just go right in right now. Um, I only, I, could, I didn't grab every single black and white movie off my shelf. Um, I grabbed most of them, but I only have a couple more that I pulled out. Um, I have Some Like It Hot, the Billy Wilder film. This is the Criterion Blu-ray, not the Kino 4K. I bit the bullet too early on this one, but uh, great comedy. Uh, I Billy Wilder, I, again, I've, another director that I've seen a handful of his films, but, I mean, the guy is just one of the best from back in the day. And uh, that's one of my favorites of his for sure. And then the other two right here kind of go hand in hand, and we kind of tangentially talk about one of them. Uh, I have Frankenstein and Dracula. Dracula. Um, <laughs> um, which, which there's an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force where they go to visit uh, the grave of Dracula and they get these headphones to listen to about Dracula. And it's, but he, uh, the guy in the headphones, the tape, he says Dracula. Uh, so, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why that's so funny. It just is. This is the grave of Dracula. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, these are you know classic monster movies. Frankenstein, really great. Uh, Dracula, I don't know. I really like Dracula and the story of Dracula. This version is not my favorite. I don't know. It's it's kind of slow. Uh, it just feels like. I mean, Bela Lugosi obviously is iconic, but it's not like that great of a film. Like, it's still good, but I don't know. In terms of, you know, like the Universal Monster movies, I would actually say, at least if we're talking like the originals, the main big ones, it's it's middle of the road for sure. It's not one of the best. Um, but, you know, they're still both great. And uh, I don't know when I think these Steelbooks came out a long time ago. Um, but they have, you know, they're kind of like the slipcover has the thing sort of thing on it, you know, but pretty cool. Pretty cool. Those actually look really cool. Yeah. Like just from a packaging standpoint, yeah, they're I really not like bad. the, the red highlight and then the, the plastic slip cover. Best thing about them actually too, is the slip cover. When you take it off, you've got the, you know, the image on the front there, but when you flip them over, just the titles on the back. That's nice. That is very classy. It's a nice touch. Classy. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've talked about it before, but does that include Spanish Dracula? Uh, does it? I'm trying to remember. I think it. I want to say it does. Yes. Yep. Spanish version. Yep. Yep. Well, I I was told by my uh, my college professor back in the day that Spanish Dracula is where it's at, man. That's right. I, I think you did tell me that. Yeah, I've never seen it, but. Yeah. I haven't either, but I, I would be really interested to check that out because I think it says quite a lot that's included on that disc because mm-hmm. I, I do think it's a pretty widely known thing these days that Spanish Dracula, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, the story goes, like, back in the day, I guess that's how they would do foreign language versions of films, like studio films, is they would just have the foreign crew and actors just reshoot the movie on the same sets. Um, but they wouldn't do it, like, exactly the same like apparently some of the like the setups like some of the camera setups and some of the lighting like camera movements and whatnot differed and obviously from performance standpoints a different language with different actors so it's it's kind of a different movie altogether um but i've always been told uh that spanish dracula man don't sleep on that Mm -hmm. yeah that'd be cool to check out 
yeah uh maybe next time you're due for a rewatch of of the old universal horror classics maybe maybe give that one a shot uh-huh. okay well i only have two picks here so this is going to be a very quick speed round um but i have here um the movie that i i decide not to talk about being as i talk about it seemingly every time i talk with you brad uh, i have tim burton's edward uh, on dvd i don't actually have this on blu-ray um, but I adore this movie. Um, it's kind of my go-to for if I'm needing uh, creativity or inspiration of any kind. Um, I actually finally got the girlfriend to check this out. Uh, she had never seen it before, but she knew it was a big deal to me. Um, not going to lie, I probably had to cash in quite a lot of brownie points to get her to sit down to watch this <laughs> one. Because it's like, so you mean you want me to watch a, a black and white movie about a bad filmmaker? what <laughs> it's like that's your idea of a date night it's like yeah yes it is <laughs> so bear with me um but i love this movie i could watch it every day and probably never get bored of it because uh endlessly quotable um from all parties involved uh fantastic movie if you haven't seen it check it out uh definitely a movie that i should have in hd um but I don't know. There's there's like a, a a chunk of Tim Burton's filmography that hasn't been treated all that well in in HD. Like Mars Attacks, I think exists on Blu-ray, not a good Blu-ray as far as I know. And same with Ed Wood, where it's it's on Blu-ray, but it's not like a Blu-ray anybody's especially happy with. Um, so I'm like, kind of foolishly holding out hope that maybe it'll get a, a update or something. Like it'll it'll get the premium treatment, but I. I don't think that's in the cards, but uh, Edward Scissorhands also. That's a, that's one that, as successful as that movie was, I would have expected like super duper like 4K edition or something. But no, I don't. I don't know what it is about that chunk of Tim Burton's filmography, but it's not been handled all that well in physical media. He's burning too many bridges. He's he's every studio he leaves, he says, "I'm never working with them again. I'm never working with Disney again." <laughs> now he's on Netflix. Well, <laughs> I know it's the speed round, but I'm going to take a pit stop real quick here to ask if you've watched the the Wednesday show on the Netflix. Yeah, I did. Um, eh, I mean, it's fine, but... <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched it, so I don't know. Just knowing he directed it, like, come on. This is what you're yeah, doing now? I, like, ugh. I, I'm foolishly holding on to hope, as I tend to do, that, you know, he'll... It'll come back, but I he, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I think I think he might be done. He's done. Uh, to use to use, to use a quote from Brad's soundboard. You're done. You're done. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean he he was great, but he has not been great in quite some time, and it, it, that hurts, man. That kind of sucks because as, as soon as that man found color, I've always said that. As soon as his color palette shifted from 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 monochrome from grayscale to color everything got shitty <laughs> like just everything got shitty i don't know what happened uh i don't know maybe, maybe he got too comfortable or something because like a lot, a lot of his earlier movies involved very like outcast protagonists who were very horny Mm-hmm. And I don't think he does those movies anymore. No. It's like, Tim Burton, are you getting too much at home? Are you getting in your repetitions in the bedroom too regularly? 
Is that where your angst went? Maybe. Maybe, (laughs) Did someone fix you? Did someone? Did some gal come around and fix you, Mister Burton? He's just at an age where that's not on his mind anymore. I think that might be the case. Like he he needs to get on that. He needs to get on that TRT. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) TRT Burton. Hashtag TRT Burton. Yep. (laughs) We need Burton horny again. Make Burton horny again. That's how we'll get. That's how we'll get him back to himself. Damn it. Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. We need, we need it in 2024. <laughs> Calling it now. Uh, I mean, Michael Keaton, he's he's going to be on top of the world. Yeah, with that, yeah. That, that movie, that Flash movie featuring that other canceled person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this always happens when we get to the end. It just gets totally unhinged. Okay, <laughs> so my last pick here uh, for this quote speed round is uh, uh, you knew it was going to happen eventually. Maybe, maybe your buddy Matt will appreciate this one uh ultra q um so this is from uh tsuburaya productions i think this may have been their first production um this is the tv show that predates ultraman um this came out i believe a year or two before ultraman and it is fully in black and white and it is very much like the x-files uh, it's like the x-files and the twilight zone put together kind of so it's about like paranormal or supernatural or extraterrestrial investigators and journalists uh dealing with monsters of the week although there aren't always monsters Uh, it's just like crazy unexplainable phenomenon oftentimes involving giant monsters um from the foremost expert of giant rubber monsters uh eiji tsuburaya uh, who worked with uh, toho studios to do the special effects for the original uh, godzilla films um, but then parlayed his experience pioneering those special effects technologies uh, into founding his own studio and making this show, uh, which is delightful. Um, it's not too long. Um, it beautiful special effects for the time for for early sec early sixties tech, um, and then probably most important thing is that it serves as the jumping off point for Ultraman. So this is like it's lumped in with Ultraman as like the prologue chapter uh, to what would become the, the long-lived franchise um, but this is a very fun watch good good nostalgia television watch um, so yeah that's the box set from our fa- our favorite distributor Mill Creek Entertainment um, but they did a bang-up job with it you know it's a full box it comes with a, uh, a a little booklet that gives you a lot of insight into the production history and lots of details about the characters and all the monsters and stuff. Uh, they do good work when it comes to Ultraman. Not a whole lot else. <laughs> I'm definitely intrigued when you said monster of the week kind of thing. Like, uh, yeah, I, uh, just looked and it is, uh, on Tubi. So I might have to, is it, is it's one season. It's a one season. Yeah. It's, it's one season. They did, like, revivals of it in, I think, the 2000s or, or early 2010s. But the original version of it is just, just the one season. Yeah, I might be checking this out. I might check this out. We'll see. It's a lot of fun. It, it really is kind of like Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits um, with a little bit of X-Files in that, like, it has central protagonists who carry over from every every episode and mm-hmm. um, rubber big rubber monsters <laughs> like, how could you go <laughs> yeah, wrong not the love. <laughs> plus uh, monster of the week it really works for me like i i love just I, I i love that format like that's actually 
part of what like Star Trek the Next Generation like that's part of what really worked for me personally is the fact that you have these characters that you you get to know but unlike basic streaming stuff these days it it was monster of the week storytelling there was they very seldom did two-parters and i've personally for me that that's a lot of fun because it doesn't ask that much of me it's like i can just put it on it's one adventure in 45 minutes and we're good to go mm-hmm. yeah i i totally okay. agree i love those kind of shows well get in on ultraman you get to see some giant rubber monsters get blowed the fuck up every week Every week, Brad. I might have Every to. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess that concludes our uh, glorious grayscale discussion on this month's uh, Tales from the Shelf. Um, so, uh, I'll just conclude things by saying thank you, Brad, uh, for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and talk about our collections and whatnot. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, you're always welcome. Um, but it's way better than doing it by myself. Uh, but uh, before we go, uh, would you care to let our listeners and hopefully our viewers uh, know where they can find you and your super awesome podcast? Yeah, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. So we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Cinema Speak, on Instagram as Cinema Speak Podcast, on YouTube as Cinema Speak, and find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Okay, very well said. Um, speaking of the YouTube, um, I would be remiss if I didn't give you your monthly jab to yeah. ask about, uh, do you got anything in the pipe, Mr. Brad? Probably the same video that I told you about last month. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I give you a poke. Yeah. You give yeah. you incentive to, to, you know, get that shit out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I'll get editing it this week. This might be a good weekend for it. We'll see. Okay. Well, I'm not going to hold you to that, but I am eagerly anticipating whatever whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks for that. But uh, as for myself and uh, catching up on cinema, uh, you can find all of our episodes collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as the Twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those i will likely respond but there is a chance i won't um and you can also find the podcast on pretty much every platform you can imagine including bitcade so fucking google it and uh that being said thank you so much for listening and or watching and uh we'll catch you next time <laughs>